Are you ready for a haunting episode? I would like a haunting episode. You would like a haunting episode? You don't think this one is haunting? <laughs> well, I guess it's haunting, but it's not spooky. Not spooky. Like Mulder? Yep. There are some good shots, though, with Mulder. In this episode? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you mean? Like the Star Wars shot. I have no idea what you're talking about. It's because we watched this episode three weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> so, I have a question for you. Oh, okay, good. How do you feel about ghosts? I don't feel much for ghosts. So, you're, you're an anti-ghoster? Yeah, I'm an anti-ghoster. I'm sort of a buster of ghosts. You oh, could say. are you now? Yeah. Is that why you're wearing that that pack right now? Yes. Hmm. I, I thought it was a weird accessory for podcasting. Well, you know, I keep uh, all my little treats and stuff in my pack. <laughs> Your snack pack? My snack pack. Yeah. That's what I call it. My snack pack. Cute. Very cute. So you don't believe in ghosts, the entities that are often known as the essence of a person who has died. Definitely not. What about more like The Conjuring, where it's a demonic creature that's never had a body? Well, definitely not that one either. Okay, so I think they both get cross-referenced as ghosts interchangeably, depending on who you're talking to, so I wanted to clarify. Okay. And I also wanted to admit that I believe in the second one, (laughs) (laughs) but not the first one. Oh, (laughs) great. So this is a fun thing that I've recently had to come to terms with myself. Is that why we went to the most spiritual place in the country? No, I just wanted to go there. Oh, okay. Casadega? No, because the way that they talk to spirits is they talk to ghosts of dead people. Which, to reiterate and clarify, do not believe are real. Right. I always wanted to believe in ghosts, so much so that I got a job at the most haunted place in Indiana. To prove yourself one way or another, I guess? Well, actually, it was my favorite bar, so... I just wanted to work at my favorite bar. So you set up that like it was because of the ghost <laughs> stories, and it's really just because you wanted to work where you drink? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Slippery Noodle Inn in downtown Indianapolis, uh, the oldest commercial building in Indiana. The place you did not take me the one time I went to Indiana. <laughs> yes. The back bar was formerly John Dillinger's hideout. Okay. It was a stop on the Underground Railroad. It was a bar slash brothel in the 1800s. And today? Well, it was not a brothel when I worked there. The 1800s, the 1900s, and today? And today. Yeah. (laughs) It was not a brothel when I worked there. That you know of. But the rooms that were the ladies' rooms. Upstairs are storage now, and they are tiny. You could barely put a bed in there, so not sure that the ladies who worked there enjoyed their time. Probably not. Yeah, one would assume. But there were several ghosts, quote-unquote ghosts there, and lots of people who worked there had great stories. I never once did. I tried. I would hang out in the back bar with, with all the lights off and be like, come on, give me something. Never got anything. And then one time I was able to take a group of psychics on a tour. Oh, yes. (laughs) Of the place. And that is when my belief in ghosts truly just died. (laughs) Because they were a ridiculous group of people. At one point, one of them was just staring at the corner of the ceiling. And another one came up to her and said, you really like the floaty people, don't you? (laughs) And that's like that moment right there is probably when my belief in ghosts died for it. Oh, wow. That sounds painful. What do you think you would have done if you had been in the back room with the lights off saying, give me something, and then a ghost like came up and tickled the back of your neck? If it just tickled the back of my neck, I would assume that I got a weird itch. So maybe you did have an experience and you just wrote it off like a normal skin irritation. <laughs> that I have commonly, constantly. And you're just constantly itchy? Always. You should probably get Especially them. if somebody says itch, then I start <laughs> itching everywhere, like right now. <laughs> so you, so yes to aliens. Uh, no, no to aliens. Okay, no to us ever seeing aliens. Okay, that is a different thing. Yes. No to aliens in the way that people see aliens here. And no to ghosts. No to ghosts. And no to demonic spirits. No to, no to demonic spirits. No to Jersey devils. No to scary dolls. No. no. Clowns. No. no. No to anything supernatural. 
Nothing. What if you spilled table salt? Do you throw it over your shoulder? I do do that. Is it just because you're messy? It's it's because <laughs> I like making things dirty. <laughs> There's just weird superstitions I had from childhood, I guess. Oh, good. So tell us one more. So you've got the salt thing. Uh, never run on the chalk of the base path playing baseball. Really? Do yeah. people not do that? Isn't that what the line is there for, to run on? No, no, no. You do not run on you run next to it. Yeah, That's bad luck. It's bad luck to run on it. Why? It just is. What do you mean, why? <laughs> it is a ridiculous superstition. There's not a real reason for it. No, I want You're looking for a logical answer to a ridiculous thing. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Now please provide one. Okay. That's interesting. So you've got little things, but nothing, not, like you said, nothing supernatural. You know, walking under a ladder. Breaking a mirror, stuff like that. What about going into the bathroom and turning off the lights and saying Bloody Mary three times? I've never done it, but I don't think anything's going to happen if you do. Would you go do it now? I suppose so. Please don't. Okay. Apparently that's what I have to. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I wasn't going to say don't, but then you called my bluff. Oh no. Oh no, I believe in Bloody Mary also. (laughs) Or the Candyman. That was a really good movie. Has the remake come out? I was waiting for it to come out, and then COVID hit, and then I lost track of everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Huh. So I'm actually not sure. Now I'm going to go find out. But it's serendipitous that this episode is dropping for us this week. We watched the Conjuring movies this weekend for the first time. Yes, I cannot believe that that being my favorite genre, I have never watched the Conjuring movies. I also used to be afraid of dolls. Ever since in third grade, a little girl on the school bus told me a scary story about dolls and I've been scared of them ever since so scared that we didn't go see the scary doll in Key West and then I watched Annabelle and I am cured well (laughs) yeah (laughs) that'll do it I don't think that's why we didn't see the scary doll in Key West I think there were other reasons there were lots of circumstances yeah I wish we had gone see that scary doll we're gonna have to go back but we cannot go back empty-handed. We have to bring him candy. Sure thing. Have to. And I'm not allowed to taunt him. No. <laughs> or you can't come with me. <laughs> I won't taunt him. You guys, if he taunts the doll, I need some place to stay. Because the doll's coming here to murder him. <laughs> We're not afraid of dolls anymore, remember? Not after watching Annabelle. I forgot, but that one doll is scary. What's his name? Chucky? No, the doll in Key West. Oh, Robert the doll? The literal doll we're talking about right now. (laughs) I can't be expected to pay attention to myself talking. Okay, so this is a fun experiment to see what Kristen believes in, even though she hasn't put a whole lot of thought into it. So we've got, which, what did you say his name was? Richard? Robert. Robert. Robert the doll will definitely curse us mm-hmm. if we taunt him and don't bring him candy. Bloody Mary will definitely at least haunt the house. I don't know that she'd kill you, but I think she would be around. It's like letting opening a portal oh. so she could wander around however she wanted. I see. And then next time your closet door opens and you can't see anybody opening it. <laughs> it won't be the cat. It won't be Charlie. It'll be Bloody Mary. <laughs> okay. And then demonic spirits who were not human at any point because humans die and then are just dead. Sorry. Sorry to break it to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> tell them there's no Santa Claus while you're at it. I'm not going to do that. Oof. I have mixed feelings about Santa Claus. Like, I really love watching him on the NORAD tracker. That was always fun. Anything else? No, I say we get into the episode. Let's get into this non-Shadow People episode. (gasps) Shadow People! Ooh, Shadow People creep me the hell out. So you believe in Shadow People? I don't think I do, but I know they are creepy as hell. What about ceiling grandmas? Uh, No, no ceiling grandmas. But the cats look at them. I can't see them. Y'all, we have grandmas on our ceiling. What is that movie? Oh, it's a bunch. There's a bunch. What is the movie that I'm talking about? Uh, Exorcist, Exorcist 3. Oh, is there a grandma on the ceiling in that? I oh, was yeah. thinking about the one in the diner. Oh, uh, Legion. Legion. So we have Legion-style grandmas on our ceiling, and uh, the cats like to look at them. I'll take a picture next time. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> I don't know what she's staring at, but she's freaking me out now. Oh, she moved. Okay, good. Now we have a... Do we have Bloody Mary walking around? Now she's going to watch Bloody Mary and the grandmas on the ceiling? Well, nobody said the thing. I think I said her name three times now. Oh, just say Beetlejuice and then they can fight each other. (laughs) Can we we ask them to take it outside? Because, man, that would really wreck the small space. (laughs) 
Okay, I derailed us going into the shadow people, non-shadow people. But we had to talk about grandmas on the ceiling. Okie dokie. Let's go. Greetings, listeners, domestic, international, and especially extraterrestrial. I'm Dave Reed. And I'm Kristen Riley. And this is The Cast Files. I am a nerd who somehow never saw The X-Files. And I watched it when it originally aired. The Cast Files, a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of The X-Files, spoiler-free. Today we are watching Season 1, Episode 6, Shadows. (laughs) It originally aired October 22nd, 1993 to a viewership of 8.8 million people. It was directed by Michael Cattleman and written by Glenn Morgan and James Wong. Now right off the bat, I want to say this episode took me places. Yes. I expected at first because it's called Shadows to be about shadow people. Yes, me too. And then it doesn't suggest that at all, but then swerves in the middle of the episode and then we'll talk about that when we get there. That is true, and I especially thought it was going to be about shadow people because I was reading Reddit, as I I mentioned last episode, and I fell down a rabbit hole of shadow people stories. Shadow people give me the Wiggins. I loved it. (laughs) All right, this episode starts out, and we are with Lauren Kite, who is cleaning out Howard Graves' office. They pan across the pictures on his wall, and he's sitting there with, I saw Ronald Reagan and Bill Clinton, I assume H.W is up there somewhere i just didn't quite see it so immediately it pings oh this guy makes weapons this guy's a weapon lord is in the office cleaning it out and crying a colleague comes in and asks her if she wants to talk Uh, lauren doesn't want to talk but is crying and crying and she keeps pretending like she's not crying but her nose is red and her eyes are red and she's obviously been in there for a while she's crying over her boss which is a thing (laughs) it's a weird thing But her colleague, must be noted, is wearing a fantastic 1990s silk shirt. Yes. With a brilliant pattern on it. It's fantastic. I loved it. There's some good patterns. Hopefully we can get a screenshot for the Twitter account. Ooh, yeah, I'll look. Okay. So she's in there for a little while. The colleague leaves. As Lauren is leaving, a dumb Ben Franklin quote moves on the desk. She turns around because she hears it, and she picks it up to take with her. The Ben Franklin quote is... One today is like two tomorrows with dashes. Before the two, or after the two in the day and tomorrow. Yes, so it's one two dash day is like two two dash tomorrows. I wish I had that thing so I could bash myself over the head with it. It's the dumbest looking thing. I was really hoping it was going to be the only time we saw it. And it just shows up like a bad penny. (laughs) Yes, it really does. Is that a Ben Franklin quote? The bad penny thing? (laughs) Yes, why not? Is it? Uh, Sure, I thought it was. You know what it is. Fantastic. (laughs) I'm going to make an image with that also. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Oh, one of the things that her colleague gave her was her paycheck while she was in there. And so that's relevant because after work, Lauren goes to an ATM to deposit her paycheck. And there she's grabbed by two men and dragged into an alley. And she's just screaming. She's grabbed by John Oates of Holland Oates. <laughs> like, what are you doing, John Oates? This is 1993. You're rich by now. <laughs> well, you know what? Everybody wants to guest on the X-Files. I guess so. Two hours later, two teenagers are looking for a place to stay. They're wandering down the alleyway and bantering. The boy suggests climbing up a fire escape and sleeping in the building. I know a place we can stay. It was interesting. And the camera pans up the fire escape, but not very far. No. You can't really see anything. It obviously stops short of really the window that they're talking about climbing into. He lifts the girl up so that she can wrench the ladder down because, you know, it's up. So she can't just reach. A regular height person can't reach it you need a boost as she's jiggling the ladder a dead body falls from somewhere into the onto the dumpster (laughs) and then the ladder loosens and another body falls at her face oh poor john oates (laughs) the look on the faces is just this kid the boy of the pair he is either a nepotism hire or the casting director needs to be fired because he was terrible The scream he gives when the body, the dead bodies are falling is he's just like, uh, 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 uh. 
It's, oh, he's the worst, and I hate his face. Oh, my gosh. I wish you had looked up who he was. I don't think that they were really... I don't think the um, the actor... the Who who hired the actors? Casting director. The, <laughs> I don't think the casting director should be fired for this one incident, because that's all that we see of this kid. You uh, don't really need to go through a lot of people for an opening scene. I, I disagree. It's egregious. I hate his face. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So after the kids run away screaming, we cut to another scene. In this scene, it opens with Tiny Scully walking into the morgue (laughs) with giant Mulder following her. The height differences are astounding. And she's wearing heels. Yes. So, yikes. (laughs) Uh, They walk into the morgue. There There are two dead bodies that are covered by sheets. And it turns out that those two dead bodies are the men who robbed Lauren Kyle at the ATM. Mulder and Scully are called to investigate by a pair of agents from an unknown agency. And the height difference between the two of those is also quite significant. Also male and female. Yes. So, you know, diversity. (laughs) Well, those, the NSA agents, are both people of color. Oh, but we don't know that they're NSA agents yet. Sort of. Yeah, I guess we don't. We don't. I guess we never know we don't. Uh, there is a coroner in there as well. So now there's four agents and a coroner. Oh, and some guy standing in the corner. The coroner gives details, including that the bodies have muscle twitches due to electrostatic shock, and their bodies won't drop below 98.3 degrees. Very weird. Yeah. Also, Scully is examining them without gloves. She's just touching <laughs> the bodies. Yep. <laughs> it was weird. They have a confrontation with the... Secret agents (laughs) about why they were called in. The secret agents don't really give anything, so Mulder doesn't want to give them anything either. And then the male agent asks if they've ever seen anything like this before, which is why they called in the X-Files team. And Mulder says no. So then they leave. Scully, as they're leaving, says, you lied to them. And Mulder said, I would never lie. I willfully participated in a campaign of misinformation. That's true that's what he did it, it is true it also sounds very fbi <laughs> very very and so they're still walking and i have a whole extra section about what they're talking about where we're trying to figure out who these people are scully says who do you think they were Mulder says nsa cia some covert organization that congress will uncover in the next scandal <laughs> yeah pretty good <laughs> since he's got, since his good friend Strom Thurmond is in the Congress, he knows. Uh, Mulder continues, it's not important who they are, but what they have, and I'm sure they have no idea because they called us in. I have X-Files. Each case has an element of what we saw tonight. Residual electrostatic charge, internal mutilation without any corresponding external causality, but none has all the elements combined in one case. Oh, I forgot to mention that the dead bodies had their esophaguses crushed from the inside. And Scully mentions that. She says, how can the esophagus be crushed without the neck even being touched? Mulder, psychokinetic manipulation. Telekinesis. Or she says psychokinesis. Yes, Scully says psychokinesis. You mean how Carrie got even at the prom? Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) And then they're wandering into the elevator and Scully says, how do we investigate? We have nothing to go on. And Mulder takes off his glasses, leans into her and breathes on them, revealing two fingerprints. It's so smooth. I love it. You did love it. Yes. That's real cool stuff. That's the end of that scene. So now we know what happened to the bodies. We know that there's a secret agency, even more secret than the X-Files secret agency. Whoa. Who has no idea what's going on. Shocking. (laughs) And they have fingerprints. So now we go back to the office. Lauren is back at work. She sees her boss, Robert Dorlin. He is Howard Graves' partner, from what we can gather. They ran the company together. Oh, later there's a whole speech about it, but I... They were like brothers. Yeah, it was... A whole garbage speech that I will not bore you with, but they were basically partners. She wants to resign due to her grief over the death of her boss, Howard Graves. Here, Robert Dorland is the king of god-awful speeches in this whole episode. (laughs) So my next line is, he makes some god-awful speech about being family and weirdly touches Lauren's hair. Uh, Like, puts his hand on her chin? Yeah. Says, I will not let you go. Oh, yes. Yes. So when he says, I won't let you leave, Lauren, his gold chain.
chain bracelet. Gold chain bracelet. Tightens around his wrist. So the first time that this happened, I thought she shocked him. I must have been typing, and I only saw his reaction. Mm. But the second time, I noticed that it was his bracelet. He doesn't react well to this. It's... He's, it gets real tight. Yeah, I know that. But he is behaving like he's having a heart attack. Well, it's because his chain is cutting into his wrist and he's about to cut his hand off. Shouldn't have stopped there. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, he lets her go and he's dealing with his bracelet and then his bracelet falls off. It just loosens and falls off. But he does stop trying to talk her out of quitting. He gives her her two weeks and she leaves the office. Next, we are with Mulder and Scully. They go to the scene of the dead bodies. Mulder figures out he can get footage from the ATM, and the way that he recognizes this is by having the sketchiest woman at the (laughs) ATM. We weren't speaking about bathroom trolls, but if there were a different kind, she was like an ATM troll. Her shoulders were hunched, her (laughs) head was down, she was looking around like she was going, like she was stealing the receipt from her ATM transaction as she ran away. I saw it as her looking at Mulder like he was trying to get her pen and she was, (laughs) don't look at me, don't look at my pen. I want more of that lady. You want less of the kid at the first, at the beginning, and I want more of the ATM lady. So with that scene, which I highly appreciate, they realize that there's video. Mulder and Scully take the video and are reviewing it back at headquarters. Um, As they review it, they see Lauren Kite at the ATM, and then they see two men assault her. As they see these grainy images, they also see a figure in the background, which isn't apparent to the naked eye until they really stop at the right frame. Yeah, and then it's still just a blur. <laughs> mm-hmm. But they feel like they've got something. So they find Lauren. They go to her home, and she initially denies all of it. But Scully shows her the photos from the video. Scully asks, have you ever seen this person before? And shows Lauren the overexposed blur. Right, and for some reason, Lauren does recognize that person, <laughs> which is pretty weird to me. Yeah. So when Scully has the picture, Lauren finally admits that this did happen. This incident happened. She said she was depositing her paycheck when they grabbed her, but she still claims she doesn't know the two men. And Scully reveals that they were later that night found dead. Lauren is acting odd, which I don't actually find odd if you're being interrogated by two FBI agents (laughs) about an assault that you didn't report. Yeah. I imagine if I ever talked to any FBI agents, I'd be acting pretty odd. Especially if you got assaulted and then you got away and then the FBI agents came to find you about the assaulters who then turned up dead. Yeah, and one thing they never actually explain is, so did Lauren see them die? Who knows? Or did she think that she just got away? Like Howard kills them, but in a way that she didn't notice. That's a good question. Because I think even at this point in the episode, she doesn't know that it's a ghost. I'm not sure what she thinks. Yeah, it's a conundrum. It is. Also, why did Graves hang that guy from the fire escape? I guess he appreciates drama. He does, actually, because we will get to another scene. (laughs) Yeah. He appreciates some drama. All right, I'll take it. So after Lauren is acting odd, Mulder gets all close to her, kind of like Dorland, but in a less aggressive manner and puts on his, I don't know, his Saturday night at a jazz club bar. (laughs) He just gets his Mulder on. He leans in close and he's like, Lauren, (laughs) look at this beautiful face. If you think of anything else, call me. Yeah. I can be reached at this number day or night. And then he goes, ta-ta, (laughs) ta-ta. Hit me up on my celly. It was really a strange situation because Scully was asking all of the questions and showing the evidence and everything while Mulder was just standing around until (laughs) that moment when he gets all in her body warmth space. (laughs) He was waiting for his moment to shine. (laughs) He was. Shine he did. (laughs) They leave the house. They leave Lauren's house and go to their car. When they get in their car, it goes into reverse and crashes into another car. And we totally thought that the person in the other car was the NSA super secret agent. We just get like a quarter profile of him. Right, yeah. From the back. And it looked like, yeah, the tall NSA agent. And we both thought it was him. And I just repeated everything you just said. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Well, you can cut that out. Yeah, we did. We thought it was him. (laughs) 
But then it cuts to commercial, and we realize, oh, they had similar haircuts. (laughs) And we're both wearing suits. So after the car crashes and we cut to commercial, we cut back in, and they are just bantering while Mulder is looking at, uh, he's kneeling down looking at the car. And Scully walks up. Mulder asks Scully how she is. And she says, I'm fine, although I do have a standing in line at the DMV-sized headache. And Mulder replies, mine's more IRS-sized. Apparently... The car was brand new, had 100 miles on it. The mechanics could find absolutely no tampering, nothing wrong with the car. The lights are on, but other than that, there's... Because the filaments are hot. So the lights aren't actually on, the filaments are really hot. That's right. Because things get hot when ghosts touch them. Right. If there's anything that's just constant throughout all of ghost hunting, it's heat. Right. Right. (laughs) They're always... There was uh, the... hot spots in the air <laughs> and electric light bulb filaments heating up <laughs> constantly. So Mulder says, what if it's possible to raise the body's electric charge to the levels we've been seeing and to affect objects? And Scully says, are you saying Lauren Kite crashed our car? He says, either that or a poltergeist. And Scully goes, oh, not Scully. Me and Scully simultaneously <laughs> oh, <you're right. laughs> go, they're here. And Mulder is unfazed and just says, they may be. <laughs> yeah. It's getting their their rapport is getting really good. Yes. And I felt a connection with Scully in that moment. Yes. It was a beautiful scene. That scene can stay forever and always because the banter through from start to finish. Yeah. Great stuff. I was just gonna say, uh, good job having your gun on your Mulder. Oh yeah. <laughs> because A lot of times you guys don't. That's true. His was prominently displayed. Good job. So after the mechanic, Mulder and Scully go back to the office building. And while they're at the office scoping it out, what are are they doing? It's it's not quite a stakeout, but surveillance. Just generic surveillance. (laughs) I wanted to say sightseeing. Sightseeing? (laughs) They're sightseeing. While they're sightseeing at the the office. Which comes back up later. (laughs) They witness Lauren being a real Karen to the guy trying to update the name on dead Mr. Graves' parking space. I don't think she's being a Karen. She's being upset. She's grieving. I think she's being extreme. I also agree. I don't like the Karen situation, but that's what I wrote initially. She's grieving and she's upset that they're replacing his name also while wearing a fantastic vest. Oh, she is. It's a great vest. I love it. Thumbs up on that vest. Yes. So now they look at Lauren being extra to this <laughs> this guy just trying to do his job. And they realize there's something connected with Lauren and this Graves character. But they don't know who Mr. Graves is. So where do they go? Microfiche. Yes. They go to the library and look at microfiche. While they're at the library, they find out who Howard Graves was and find out that Lauren Kite was his secretary and that he committed suicide. So here's a bit of trivia about this scene. When Mulder and Scully are in the library, if you look at the newspaper report above the story of Howard Graves' suicide, there's an article about a killer who extracts his victim's livers and escapes from impossible locations. Holy crap. Did you catch that? No. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I looked it up. (laughs) Well, good job Michael Cattleman putting that in there. It was great. Or the props department, whoever Whoever made that decision. Yes, it was just one of the, here's a little bit of trivia. So next they go to Howard Graves' grave. And when they're there, who else is there? Lauren! Also in her very fabulous vest. I didn't quite put that together. Were they going to Howard Graves' grave just to go to his grave, or were they following Lauren? I thought they were just going to the grave, they but you're... probably would have. It wouldn't really make sense for them to stop following Lauren, then go back to following Lauren. But they did stop following Lauren because they went to the library. No, that's what I'm saying. They're probably not following Lauren. Oh, yeah. That's why they're... So they're just going to his grave to go to his grave, which, why? That doesn't make any sense. Because they have to meet the fabulous... <laughs> the caretaker? Caretaker. Okay. There are some wonderful characters in this episode, and he is one of them. I he, really enjoyed him. Yeah, he is my second favorite graveyard caretaker. <laughs> Who's your first favorite? Rupert 
Rupert Everett in uh, in Cemetery Man. It's an Italian horror movie. Okay. I, another good quip here. As they see Lauren at the grave, he says, you won't find many people at their boss's grave who aren't dancing on it. Mm, yeah, true. But, yes. Very true. <laughs> so Lauren goes wherever she goes with her cute little vest on. So yeah, I guess they're not following her. No. This is where Mulder and Scully are out looking at the grave sites discussing this is where they meet the incredibly helpful grave worker grave caretaker Caretaker. from him Mulder and Scully learn of Graves' suicide the death of his daughter at age three she drowned when the pool door was left unlocked and after the daughter's death the wife left the husband which often happens when there's a death in the family like that and she is buried across the cemetery this man knows everybody's story and apparently he knows their stories beyond the deaths yeah, the daughter died in 69, so mm. it's nearly 30 years. Yes. They note that the daughter, if she was alive today, would be Lauren's age. So this is where we're thinking, is Lauren actually Graves' real daughter and they're faking deaths and it's a whole fake death situation? That never even occurred to me. <laughs> well, that's what I thought. Well, good job. Thanks. Way to have detective skills. Yeah. <laughs> we leave the graveyard after getting the whole backstory of Graves and his whole family. We're back at headquarters and Mulder and Scully are working with a technician. They have some surveillance pictures of Lauren Kite in her house. And they say, enhance times 10. Yeah, yeah, it's real good stuff. Cutting edge 1993 technology. I, you know what? I want that technology. If I could enhance not only a grainy photo that was recreated or developed in a dark room, but also to then enhance it so much that a person who's not there in the first place is then put there fully formed. It's good technology. Oh, you know what? I bet there's an app for that. <laughs> there's definitely an app for that. <laughs> Never mind. We already have that. <laughs> While they're doing this, it's it must be late. We have no idea what time any of this is because we don't have the bottom third. That's one of the first episodes that doesn't right. do the timestamps. Yeah. We go to Lauren's house while Mulder and Scully are doing their detective work. They're, they're detecting. Lauren's asleep at home. Her cat jumps off the bed because there's some sounds. And the one thing that drives me crazy in all TV shows, movies, commercials, anything, is if you have an animal... They always overlay some just absurd (laughs) sound. It's just ridiculous. Look, we have three cats. We have three. And you can, they've been running around and some of them are eating. And it's just, there's background noise. But not a single one of them has ever jumped off the bed and gone. (laughs) (laughs) It's because we don't have ghosts. Oh. If we were haunted, maybe they would. Maybe. Or if we had ceiling grandmas. We have ceiling grandmas. Yeah, I've never seen a ceiling grandma. Watch Charlie. She sees the ceiling grandmas. Okay. She sees them more than any of the other cats. Yeah, I think. No, but uh, Moses has also seen them. Louis doesn't care. (laughs) Doesn't see much these days. Louis doesn't care as long as the ceiling grandmas stay out of his space. And or feed him. So anyway, her cat runs away and makes an absurd sound. She has a dream or something. It's <laughs> unclear if... Okay, so she does... The way that it's shot, she gets out of her bed and she walks into the bathroom and it's really overacted. Then she sees blood in the bathtub and it's just this whole thing. Well, she's haunted. That's the ghost. That's Graves showing her what they did. No, I understand what it is. No, I mean, that's not a dream. It's like real. How do you know? That's just how I interpreted it. That it was like she actually got up and went to the bathroom and saw it. It was a good spooky moment. I thought it was overacted. I liked it. All right, well. I like spooky moments. Oh, I do too, but I think it was who would behave that way is what I was thinking the whole time. (laughs) Choking that far up on their bat? Is that that what you had a problem with? Yes, I definitely (laughs) had a problem with that. That was, you know, I think I had a problem with a lot of it. But I'm glad you enjoyed it. Okay. This is not my favorite scene. Go back to the car scene. <laughs> <laughs> go back to the banter. I would like to go back to the mechanics, please, which is the only time I will ever say that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she sees this. She has this vision or a dream or whatever it is. With the blood appearing in the bathtub, she also gets the this auditory overlay where Graves is begging for his life. There's somebody else. There's obviously murder with the sound. If there was no sound, there wasn't an auditory element or 
was trying to think of haunting. I was trying to think of something that a ghost would do. Then it would just still look like suicide. Yeah, because apparently those the assassins did a really good job. Yeah. So anyway, now she doesn't believe that he committed suicide. She believes he was murdered. Then we go back to Mulder and Scully. Scully suspects that Graves faked his death. And this is where Mulder says, Do you know how difficult it is to fake your own death? Only one man has pulled it off. Elvis. Elvis. And I could not tell if he was joking or not. <laughs> Me neither. I have no idea. I do not know if he was joking or not. If Elvis shows up in season four, episode 12, <laughs> I will be like, oh, okay. <laughs> there we go. We know now. Uh, hey, Fox. How are you? How's it going? <laughs> oh, hi, Elvis. They're going to kill her. <laughs> Well, again, with the no timestamps, not knowing what time it is on anything, but it must be daytime because they go see <laughs> somebody else. They go see the medical examiner, who is my very favorite person of all of the episodes so far. I hope they have more cases in Philadelphia so they could go talk to her again. Oh my goodness, she was amazing. So this is a conversation with medical examiner Ellen Bledsoe, who examined Graves's body originally, wrote up the coroner report. So in Bledsoe's office, I wrote down the conversation because it's so good. It opens on uh, Dr. Bledsoe's face. I assume she's a doctor because if you're a medical examiner, don't you have to be a doctor? She says, deadpan. Harry Graves is very dead. Not just dead, very dead. Very dead. And it was, oh, it was beautiful. Scully requests, may we see the autopsy report, please? And nonchalantly, not bothered at all. Remember the men a couple of episodes ago who were flustered about everything? The ones in Squeeze? Yes. Uh, Donal Logue's buddies? Yes. Yeah. How they were peacocking to the extreme? Yeah. Ellen Bledsoe is the exact opposite. She is so professional and so secure in her work. Yeah. That she, here, she throws the, or she doesn't throw, she tosses it to them. It says, knock yourselves out. <laughs> yep, knock yourself out. So Scully reads the report and says, cause of death, arterial hemorrhage. Dr. Bledsoe says, four to six liters of blood down the tub. Good line. <laughs> it was, she's so, ah, ah, she's so good. Oh, I love her so much. Scully says, well, there seems to be some blood work missing here, Dr. Bledsoe. We only do that when we suspect homicide. Mulder, I don't suppose you ran any dental confirmation? Dr. Bledsoe, what for? It was him. Scully, how do you know? Dr. Bledsoe, it said so on the toe tag. Said so on the toe tag. It was so good. And then Mulder asks, who made a positive ID on the body? Scully looks through the report and says, Lauren Kite. Shocking. Right. Mulder. But Howard Graves was cremated. There would be no way to run a dental check or to get a DNA sample. And Scully said, yes, there is. His body's tissues and organs were donated. Which I said, they can do that? That seems... Highly invasive? Scary. Yeah. yeah. So that scene was wonderful because of Dr. Bledsoe. And I loved her performance so much that I looked her up. Her name, the actor's name is Lorna Gale. She was a Canadian actress, playwright, and theater director. Oh, she came from the theater. Oh, yes. She also authored two award-winning plays, Angelique and Jamais Souvien. I don't speak French, as you didn't need me to explain after pronouncing that. You may have also seen her in movies such as Ernest Goes to School. <laughs> Yay, Ernest. <laughs> Ernest movies, Fantastic Four, The Chronicles of Riddick, and The Exorcism of Emily Rose, which is a one I have to see. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, that is my genre of film. We'll get that. We'll get on that after we watch Money Plane. Oh, that is not my <laughs> genre of film. She also obviously guested on The X Files, Stargate SG One, Smallville, and Kingdom Hospital, and she starred as Priestess. Eosha on Battlestar Galactica. All right. So she has an extensive and varied career. I had a feeling because her performance was amazing. So after we leave them, we go back to the office. We're at Lauren's going away party. She gave her two weeks. They're throwing her a going away party. The likes I've never seen when anybody's ever left an office before. Yeah, I've never worked in an office where somebody left like that. So, me neither. But I need to point out Lauren's vest in this scene. Horrible. Oh, no. Horrible vest. Oh, no. Thumbs down on that vest. <laughs> Shame on you, Lauren. This is Vest Watch with this David. Is, 
Yeah, every episode is vest watch. I love vests. Yeah, Ugh. gross vest. Hate it. <laughs> Negative five stars. Oh no. So here, uh, Lauren is threatened again by Dorland, he, who's being a big creep. He corners her in her office, and he believes she has knowledge of confidential information that could implicate him. So this is where we're starting to see some threads come together about the murder of his partner, and we've got some people who are assaulting Lauren, who we didn't have any extra connection with. Also, this whole subplot, I kept forgetting was part of the subplot. <laughs> really? That's, that's the, funny. The whole, because terrorism is overplayed at this point. Yeah, man. Yeah, in 1993, that was probably... Oh, I'm sure it was huge then. Yeah, but probably not, like, everybody's sick of it. No, definitely not. I mean, like, a huge... Oh my gosh, can you imagine this would be happening? Right. Instead and... of these days, terrorism as a plot. Oh, big chunk of people are going to be going... <laughs> Yeah, what's her motivation, though? <laughs> well, I was also thinking, is it terrorism or is that just what you're saying so that you can target these people? Right. Is it more convenient to label them terrorists than, I don't know, just trying to survive day to day? Right. But no, that's not what these people were doing. This is Because remember, this is something to do with arms, <laughs> as noted by how close they were with the president. Yeah. <laughs> All right, this is where Lauren accuses Dorland of murder. When Dorland asks, why would you say that? Lauren says, he told me. And she gets out of his office. So Lauren Kite calls Mulder and Scully to her home. She says, how fast can you get here? And Mulder says, why? What's wrong? And then she hangs up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, not very good investigative work that time, Mulder. No. But before the agents arrive, two assassins hired by Dorlin arrive to kill her, her Lauren. Before they get into the house, what's his name? Graves, the ghost, is trying to keep the door locked and keep the door shut, and she's like fighting him on it. Trust your ghost. You already know that this ghost is there to protect you. This scene made me think of Buffy, no, of Angel and Cordelia's house ghost. Yeah, Dennis the Phantom. Dennis the Phantom. When uh, Faith goes to L.A. and tries to beat them up, Phantom Dennis tries to keep the door closed. Yes. And they fight him. Yeah, it's the exact same thing. Made me think the exact same thing. It's frustrating every time. You know that this ghost is on your side. Trust your ghost. Yes. So this is our advice for this episode. Trust your phantom. Trust your phantom. (laughs) So the assassins get inside because... Lauren doesn't take a hint. An invisible force, which is the, the, ghost. the ghost, kills both of them while Lauren cowers in a corner yelling, No! The ghost grabs the male assassin, mm-hmm. hangs him up, and like chokes him out. And the female assassin is smart. She does not waste time. She's like, oh, this is bad. I'm getting out of here. But she's just not fast enough. But I enjoy, not enjoy, but I like that she wasn't just dumbstruck sitting there going uh uh uh, what's going on as the man is being held Mulder bursts in female assassin is dead and she's up against the door he pushes her away from the door and it is it's an absurd scene do you remember how her body just kind of falls no I don't oh that's too bad because you made all of the comments about it Yeah, it's been a while since we actually watched the episode. (laughs) Mulder stops and the male assassin is floating two feet above the ground in a Darth Vader chokehold style. And I I wrote, about 11 minutes later, after the body falls to the floor, Scully saunters in the room. (laughs) (laughs) Just in time to not see anything. Yes. It was so long. Mulder burst in the door and and he did stare dumbstruck at the guy for a while. Right. And then after everything was done, Scully came in. But they were coming from the same place. Uh, she's so short, I guess she walks slow. She's got little tiny strides. <laughs> it's as fast as she could go. Yep. Uh, next scene, Lauren is interrogated by Mulder and Scully. She remains silent. She doesn't help them out at all. The two unknown agents from before, they burst into the morgue wearing terrible suits. <laughs> they accuse Mulder and Scully of compromising their investigation. And I wrote, there's a silent off. <laughs> it's like a standoff without words. Who could be the quietest? 
And then the uh, unknown agents say that they're involved because they believe Graves and Dorland's company sold technology to Isfahan. Lauren refuses to talk to the bad suit agents, but eventually admits to Mulder and Scully that the sales did indeed take place and that she believes Dorland killed Graves. Now, I don't understand. At this point, she's Mulder and Scully's witness. I don't understand why they let the NSA guys talk to her at all. It makes no sense to me. They're just like, sure, go talk to her. We don't care. Yeah. Lauren reveals that due to her status as a secretary, she was able to be invisible during discussions, and she is real broken up about her (laughs) position, although she's apparently family. One day, the two men who had attacked her and wound up dead came in. They were part of Isfahan. Isfahan is a group that purchased parts for outrageous prices. Yeah, just parts. Just parts. Like, you can buy full weapons, but they're just buying parts. Yeah, they just bought and they didn't work a very good deal. They are bad at negotiating. <laughs> There's some discussion explaining away why Graves wasn't such a bad guy, though he was selling to a known terrorist organization. So I'm not on Graves' side. No, I mean, he's just an arms manufacturer, so period, I'm not on his no. side. Lauren is torn up and believes Graves is now protecting her. Scully pretends to believe her, which confuses Mulder. Oh, he looks let down by her. Yeah, it was... He looks upset that she did that. It was really weird. I was like, Mulder, don't you know what she's doing? And he, he did not like mm-hmm. her pretending to believe. No. He it's didn't. like it hurt his feelings. Right. Even though Mulder didn't like it, it was obviously the right move because it got Lauren to talk. And this interrogation and disclosure leads the FBI to obtaining a search warrant for HTG Technical Industries offices. The FBI executes a search of the company's offices but are unable to find any evidence. They, again, are less diligent than the NSA tearing through Kevin's bedroom. (laughs) The other agents are there as well, the in better suits, I noted. Oh, that's good. So I gave them compliments on their better suits. Everybody's searching the offices, thumbing through files or walking around, but it's it's unclear what they're actually doing. I think the direction was just look busy. <laughs> <laughs> and I even, I did right. They were significantly more thorough when tearing up Kevin's room in Conduit. The mystery agent guy is mad that they didn't find anything. We, you keep calling him the NSA guy. I keep yeah. calling him the mystery guy because they still haven't identified themselves in the show. No, I think Mulder speculated that they were NSA. Yeah. And so I just, I just ran with that. But he was real mad that they didn't find anything and it ruined a year-long investigation. Right, but Mulder got their investigation to a point where he got a search warrant. So Mulder helped them out. I don't know who he's mad at, but it's it's bad. He's a bad cop. Yes. Shocking. (laughs) Shocking in the X-Files that there are bad cops. He is a cop that is a bastard. In the office, Lauren is not liking that they're not finding anything, so she attacks Dorlin. He grabs a letter opener and points it at Lauren. Then a tornado occurs in the office. You know, office tornado. Yeah. As Skelly bangs on the now-closed door, Graves' spirit takes the letter opener that's now pointing at Dorlin's face as Dorlin chokes. And then he flings it at the wall, cutting open the wallpaper, revealing a computer floppy disk with evidence. You know what that is right there. That is 1.44 megabytes (laughs) of bad person evidence. And so they have evidence. Hooray. While they're leaving, Mulder says, Hey, Scully, do you believe in the afterlife? And Scully replies, I'd settle for a life in this one. Duh! (laughs) And then weeks later, Lauren is starting her new job in a different city. Her new boss lady says she asked for some papers 25 minutes ago. And then her table and coffee mug start to vibrate, Jurassic Park style. Lauren freezes, thinking Graves has followed her. But it turns out that the office shakes whenever a truck rolls by. Not that Graves was going to murder this woman for saying something real. Yeah, why, where is this building built that every time a truck goes past, it shakes like that? <laughs> on the interstate, it's a bridge. <laughs> it's an overpass, and it's directly on the overpass. Oh, and I also wrote, if she gets super vengeancy after being admittedly 25 minutes late, no one will survive long around her, regardless of where she goes. No. <laughs> that is it for Shadows. Yeah, this episode had me all over the place because this episode is all over the place. 
It really is. I don't think it knows what it's trying to do. Yeah, because at first I'm thinking it was, they lead you to believe it's telekinesis, which I'm like, oh, there's an Angel episode about that one too. <laughs> A I, telekinetic who doesn't have control over her powers. Right. I wanted it to be faked death. I wanted Graves to actually be Lauren's dad. <laughs> and then he faked her death and his own death, and then they were going to get away. Interesting. It would have been. But then that wouldn't have been spooky. This wasn't spooky either. We don't even know what happened to Graves. Yeah, he's just a ghost out there now. Another not, not protecting her anymore. Another episode where there's nothing solved. No resolution, really. There's a resolution to the arms dealing subplot, but that's not like what the X file is about. Right. Another yeah, another just loose end. Another loose end. So now there's just a ghost out there bumping around. Doing whatever ghosts do, I guess. Well, you know who I do hope that we revisit from this episode? Who is that? The graveyard guy. Yeah, graveyard guy was nice. I liked him. He knew everything about everything. Yeah. And so I would like him to show up in another episode whenever we're in Maryland again, I guess. And uh, just tell us some more backstory about dead people. Yeah, just tell us about, just go one by one through all the graves. I would... You know what? Better than some ghost tours I've been on. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm really starting to like uh, Jillian Anderson. Uh, this is actually the first thing I've watched with her in it. So. Really? Yeah, I've never, I don't believe I've ever watched anything with her in it. I love Jillian Anderson. Yeah, she's growing on me. Well, we have a whole world to open up to you. So <laughs> Yes, we do. If you really want to deep dive, because you have watched David Duchovny and stuff. Yeah, I've watched him in a few things, yeah. I've seen him in a few things. I have not watched Californication. Yeah, you would not like it. Nope. I loved it. <laughs> you would not like it. But uh, in this thing that we're watching them in, who are you shipping? I'm shipping Lauren and Graves. Ooh, a ghost since they aren't actually related and I wanted them to be, I've decided that her emotional connection with this guy is not healthy. And so I'm shipping them into an unhealthy relationship. Okay, yeah. That would be really unhealthy since they're like father and daughter. And ghost and girl. Yeah, pretty creepy. Yep. All around. Well, that's what I'm doing. You? Yeah, there was not a lot to go with in this one, so I'm going with the two NSA agents. Mm. Since I'm probably not going to be shipping Mulder and Scully, I'll ship these guys that are partners over here. There was zero chemistry between them two. <laughs> them two? Those two. Yeah, there was not much chemistry between anybody and anybody else in this one. <laughs> but, you know what? I like it. I like where you're going. It's it's as though they're dressing as a couple, not in matching attire, but in how bad or good they're dressing. Because when they wore bad suits, they both wore bad suits. And when <laughs> they wore better suits, they both wore better suits. Oh, well, all right then. So they're coordinating. Okay. All right. And how are you surviving this? I think my solution, my survival in this is not work for war criminals. Oh, okay. I like that. Um, I was going to just never be friends with someone like Lauren. <laughs> That's a very good one, too. She seems insufferable. She really does. She really does. She was crying over... Everything. Yes. Just, no thank you. Well, that's six episodes down of the cast files. We did it. We have now lasted as long as South of Sunset, a private detective show starring Glenn Fry from the Eagles. What? <laughs> yep, Glenn Fry from the Eagles. It was canceled after one episode, but VH1 showed the other five a year later on VH1. Huh, weird. Okay, did it. We sure did. Cast Files is produced by Kristen Riley and Dave Reed. This episode edited by Dave Reed. Music by Hal Six. Logo by at Uka Art. That's O-O-K-A-A-R-T. You can email us at thecastfiles at gmail.com. That's the with two E's. You can get us on Twitter at castfiles. You can find me on all the socials at Dave Reed. That's D-A-I-V-E-R-E-E-D. And if you could pretty please rate and review us on Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts, we would really, really appreciate it. And go buy some merch at Tee Public in our Tee Public store. And hey, you're doing great.